Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Welcome to Garden Success. We are here to talk to you about things that interest you regarding your home, garden, and landscape. Or you can even call about your houseplants. We can talk about that as well. Uh, Our number is 979-845-5689. So write that down so you can give us a call, 845-5689, or by email, uh, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I just have to tell you that for some reason, our email is on the blink. And unless that changes before the end of the show, uh, we are we're kind of up a up a creek in terms of answering your emails today during the show. But uh, go ahead and email. We'll, we will get to them. Uh, it just may take a little longer, maybe catch them next week, unless this fixes. seems like we have a regular email gremlin that crawls through the computer here on a periodic basis and uh, tries to thwart the things that we're going to do. Well, again, uh, our number, if you'd like to call, is 845-5689, 845-5689. And uh, let's go to the phones now and talk to Lewis. Hello, Lewis. Hey, good afternoon, Skip. appreciate your show. My question is, I'm going to be about Peachtree Establishment. Okay. My place is off of 1179. It's a Boonville Fine Sandy Loam, which is a pretty tight soil. It's got some fine gravel in it and a a bit of clay as you get deeper into it. Uh And I'm going to be planting um, a peach and plum fig small orchard maybe 15, 20 trees next year. And I was going to spend this summer and fall prepping. And I was looking for your insights, how you prepare that fine sandy loam. I've grown peaches and figs and plums all my life, but in a mm-hmm. different part of Texas. Mm-hmm. And this, this soil is new to me in prepping. And I'm looking at the Zest series of peaches putting in there. So I was going to get some insights on what rootstocks, you know, for that area. Okay. Well, and just going to listen for a bit. Yeah, good, good. And then if you have some follow-ups, we can, we can do that. Um, yes, so peaches like a well-drained soil. So if it's basically a loam soil, they're probably going to be pretty happy uh, because those tend to drain well. Uh, the sandy loam even better. Uh, so you shouldn't have problems unless there's something about the site that creates drainage problems. Uh, you you shouldn't have a lot of problems with drainage. Sometimes we, when with the 
preponderance of clay soils around parts of these areas, we say build up a berm so that you ensure good drainage, but I don't think you're going to have to worry about that. The way to be sure, though, because you're putting in an investment here, uh, is to go out and dig a post hole two or three mm -hmm. feet deep mm -hmm. and uh, fill it with water. Do it when the soil is moist, not, you know, after a three-week right. drought, but when the soil is moderately moist, go ahead and fill that with water and come back, and hopefully it will drain out in 8 to 12 hours, 24 hours right. is, is okay. Have you tried that already? Uh, the postal. Well, I haven't done a I haven't done a perk test yet, but I know the the place has got a small pond, mm -hmm. and I watched after that three inch rain in January, it that it, it dropped fairly fast. It's got a decent slope to it. I would say it drops a foot and a foot and a half every hundred feet. So it's got a good surface slope. So okay. I don't have standing water perk, uh, standing on it. Okay. I was going to berm up slightly because mm -hmm. like I said, I've grown peaches most of my life mm -hmm. and, and so i was going to just create some berms with a tractor a slight berms just to keep you know great drainage in case we get a hurricane or something you know drops a lot of rain right well but i didn't know if you're in that the soil looks awfully tight to me it's it's oh, it um, yeah it's not tight like clay but it's that really fine sand that boonville soil is really tight for a sandy loam it, hmm. it appears that way to be to me well, and it might just be compaction. It was a hay meadow at one time. That and that could be compaction. It yeah, need to be ripped up. Yeah, so, you know, silt is the closest thing to clay, but um, sandy loam right. and loam basically means you got a mix of of particle sizes in there, uh -huh. uh, and so. I you know based on the description of the soil, I'm not as concerned, but. Right, uh, right. The po the perk test that we talked about with the post hole that that right. would be your that'd be your backup. Uh, right. you know, do do soil testing, find out what the pH is and the nutrients, and so mm -hmm. that you can get that plowed in well ahead of time if there's anything way out of range. Um, okay. So of course nitrogen is volatile. We almost ignore it on the soil test. Uh, uh, that's you know, probably soil scientists are reaching for the phone right now, but uh, it it just it's volatile. It it uh, yeah. It and can there's evaporate. no unexchanged capacity in this soil. There's no organic matter. To speak right, of. right. And, and so it's going to move away. So you'll add the nitrogen as you as you need it for your thing. So I don't worry about that. But a lot of the other nutrients are very important in getting getting them down ahead of time. Some of them don't move down in the soil well at all. You know, phosphorus is one that. If you spread it on the surface, it's not going to be more than a half inch, inch deep in 10 years. Right. So uh, that that's uh, a reason we do the soil test, one of the reasons we do the soil test ahead of time. The zest peaches are new, they, you know, and and uh, are you familiar with uh, the Aggie Horticulture website where they're all listed? Yes, yes, yes. I've read Dr. Burns' work on them and okay. I read the Hort Science, American Soil you know, the Hort Science uh, releases. And oh, you're doing, you're doing your homework, man. <laughs> Okay, well that's good. Uh, so yeah, zests are good. There, you know, there are other good peaches that we have as well. Uh, so uh, I always feel like it's a good idea to hedge your bet. Uh, what do they say? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Uh, just f in terms of chilling hours, you know, get you a range. You know, we're aiming around 600 general here, but. Um, uh, I'd, I'd do a range because, you know, we've had years where we had very low chilling and then other right. years where the things were ready to bloom in February. So uh, hedge your bet a little bit is what I'd recommend. Well, that's the second thing I was going to ask you. When I looked at the research that Dr. Byrne had released, 
it looked like in College Station they were blooming the very first week of full bloom, like this week now, right mm-hmm. now. That's you know you're going to get nipped by a freeze one year out of four with those. So I was looking for something maybe in the seven to eight hundred chill hours just to spread it out just a bit. Well, in I tell other you, direction. yeah, I'd be afraid to go over seven hundred here. Um, okay. The, okay. They here's the problem. It it um, when you when you have a, a peach that's too high chill, not only does it not come out and produce for you that year, but it's so staggered that it, it weakens a tree. I've seen situations where just the ends of the yeah. branches leaf out and maybe a leaf here and there. Yeah. And by the time you get to August, it's still trying to crawl out of winter. Uh, wow. But uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't think that's a good strategy to get too high. But I, I would range them around a little bit. You know, our our average last frost date keeps moving a little bit earlier. Last time I, last ten years, I believe when I did the NOAA data, it was about twenty uh, sixth of February, I think, uh, okay. which surprised me. Now most most of the time when they say average frost date, they're going back more than ten years. But uh, yeah, sure. just just to see, you know, what's the most recent story? And the most recent story is it's been, you know, four or five days up into well, four days up into February. So anyway, that are you recommending nematode or level rootstock uh, citation? If if you feel like that you have nematodes, then nemagard, and and uh, you can do a, a nematode assay by sending the soil to the the uh, plant pathology lab on campus. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, go online to um, okay. uh, plantclinic.tamu.edu, and uh, okay. plant clinic will. Um, uh, okay. You could link your way over to that and just check. That doesn't that doesn't mean it's searching your property for a single nematode somewhere, but it just gives you an idea of how populated they might be in the soil. And we say nematodes as one word, but it's really a number of different kinds of nematodes, and so uh, they'll okay. they'll check for you. Uh, level and yes, I am I am not f- familiar with citation. I, I know what you're talking about, but I, I don't mm-hmm. know okay. the the data on its performance here in this area. Uh, okay. So I, I would hesitate, you know, I, I tend to go with things we know, uh, yes. and that doesn't mean a new isn't the best thing since sliced bread. It just means I'm not going to send you out on something that we don't have some background okay. on. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, so uh, that those are the key things. Of course, I, I would check your water quality out there and also your your water quantity are you thinking uh, well or surface water? Well, both. I'm looking at actually three sources. I'm putting a well in, but okay. I haven't got it drilled, so I can't get to the water quality. I've got surface water, and then I'm doing rainwater collection. But the rainwater collection is more for greenhouse citrus yeah. than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that won't get far at all on, on a peach yeah. orchard. Uh, a, a mature peach tree, uh, I know it can pump 40 gallons a day out of its leaves, and, and that... Uh, that yeah. was something from years ago of well, Stephenville. They did some trials okay. or, or some research, rather. Um, so that that requires a system. You know, you're going to have, depending on your spacing, about 100 peaches per acre in that mm-hmm. range. And so you start doing the math, and you need a system that can handle it. Now, you'll zone it where you don't have to water the entire orchard at once, but you need to be able to, you know, cycle through some zones and get the job done. One other thing about your fi- your fine sandy loam is it's it's going to be important. It's really true of almost any soil, but uh, rather than just a drip at, on the trees, to have a micro sprinkler that's putting out a wide band 
of water. When I say wide, I mean, there's irrigation technology that will create a little two-foot circle of water or a you know, seven or 10 foot circle of water, but it, it spreads it down low where evaporation is minimized, it's larger droplets. But with drippers, you just have a certain amount of soil volume that can be wet. And we want to wet as many, um, you know, cubic feet of soil as we as we can. Yeah. So we developed that extensive root system. Okay. Uh, so that you can start with drippers, a couple of drippers, one on each side of the tree, but uh, pretty soon you're going to want to put in the little spaghetti tubes with a little little stake and a micro sprinkler on them. Okay. okay. May I ask if you have time, just one other quick question. I'm prepping up a garden area, and I was going to round up it, and then I was going to plastic um, um, solarize it this summer just to knock down the weed population. Mm-hmm. But then I was going to start bringing in organic matter, and I was going to get a couple of truckloads. Is there a ready source of decent compostable material in the area? Uh, there are a number of places that are reselling uh, here. Uh, the um, As far as uh, the ones that are actually creating the compost, if you go out to the Twin Oaks Landfill site, yes, which is up north of town, North Bryan, yes, sir. north of Bryan, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh-huh. they have they just have a screen compost that they produce out there. And so you would okay. you just have to have a way to, to get it. They don't deliver it. Uh, and okay. you could do that. Just it, it gets so expensive. It gets expensive when you're adding compost to a large area. Uh, you know, a farm typically isn't going to be able to do that, but uh, small gardens, yeah, of course. Yeah, this is going to be a couple of thirty by thirty-five plots. Oh, okay. Know, so well, that's start, start off with maybe yeah. four of them, just for just for canning the garden. Okay. More, put up yeah. a lot of tomatoes. You can you can bring home okay. a large flatbed full of stuff and go to town there. Okay, that, it's one oak. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, excellent. I, I didn't want to monopolize all your time on your show, but I appreciate the insights on the peaches, and I'll probably call them back. I'm just trying to do all my site prep and everything long before I start ordering trees. That's Good idea. Time. Keep keep uh, keep going on your on your researching because uh, usually people call after it's too late. You know, the trees are bought; they're in. The irrigation systems in or not in, and and it's hard to it's hard to go backwards and fix things. So yeah, you're, you're that doing, was my plan this year. Put the irrigation system, get the berms built, get the uh-huh. irrigation system put in, amend the soil if needed. If I need to put any shale or anything in there, but I think once I do the perk test, I'll have a better clue. I've already yeah. ran the soil analysis. I, yeah, and got a good idea what the okay. Well, I I can tell you shale shale will not be part of the the picture with that soil and also on the scale we're talking about it takes a whole lot of sh- a shale to improve like a clay soil and you probably don't even need it for the soil you have. That's what's looking at. It's kind of fi- small fine gravel in it. I don't even think that is. But anyhow, I appreciate your show and thank you, sir. For All show. right. Thank you and thanks for the call. Our phone number is 845-5689-845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu.edu uh, let's see I wanted to, I'm going to talk about a number of things today I've got there's a lot going on around the community boy spring has sprung and uh, of course in spring we have a lot of activities from you know garden clubs to plant sales to you name it and we'll, we're going to be announcing some of those today uh, but first let's go to the phones again and talk to Hans hello Hans Hi, uh, I like to talk to you and get your advice. Uh, 
when when should I start planting trees? Uh, what kind of trees? Well, I I like persimmons and uh, I like uh, yeah uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, actually, I have some very very small live oaks which came up. Okay. And I I want to use this maybe uh, five inches long uh, trees and put them in a pot and eventually uh, put them out where I need a live oaks. But uh, I just ask in general, is it too early to start planting? Uh, or, or I'm also interested in, in, in fig, fig trees like, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's actually not too early. In fact, it's we're getting toward the end of the time when it's best to plant trees. Uh, so uh, we we can start planting trees in the in the late or mid to late fall. We can plant them in the winter. We can plant them in the late winter or spring. Um, the bare root fruit trees, uh, those are typically sold in January and planted January and maybe early February uh, to get those in as as the best time to do that. And then there's trees that are grown in containers that can be planted pretty much any time, but are best planted. Uh, as soon as possible now. The goal is you want the tree to start to get roots established in the soil around the planting. You want those roots moving out and establishing before it gets so hot and the demands on that tree are so so high because when you plant it you have a very very small root system and you're wanting to create a good deep extensive root system as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, so uh, I should get uh, started then. Um, yes. So, so uh, just uh, fill me in. What what is your recommended uh, a tree for for figs? Okay, um, so uh, uh, there are a number of figs that do well. Uh, one called Celeste is a good one. Uh, like uh, another one is uh, the LSU purple. There's also a LSU gold that uh, that do well in our area, and there are other figs. Brown turkey's another one that you often see planted around here. Uh, I I want to refer you and anyone else that might be interested in fruit to the Aggie Horticulture website. That's uh, Aggie-Horticulture.tamu.edu. And if you just do a search for Aggie Horticulture, you'll find it. And on the very front page, there's a place that says Fruits and Nuts. And you click there and you get a list of all the fruit uh, with a publication for everyone. So like if you clicked on figs, it would tell you how to plant a fig, what varieties to plant, how to prune a fig, how to fertilize a fig. And so I would really recommend with any fruit, uh, you mentioned persimmons. There's also a, a free uh, fact sheet on persimmons on that website. You can view it on your computer or you can print it out uh, so you have something to hold your hand and read. Uh, and that that will answer more questions than we could answer all day uh, talking about them. Uh, and so I would recommend that you do that. But as far as the other plants, the other or the general question, I would get those done real soon. And after you get them planted, build a, a circular berm of soil around them, like a donut on the ground, but made of soil about 
six inches high, four to six inches high, so you can fill it with water and all that water soaks straight down into your root system. And that way uh, you get a nice good deep soaking when you water because early on they're going to have to be watered more, much more frequently than after they have had a chance to grow for a few months. Uh -huh. So uh, here is another question. I actually have put in a watering system with some uh, hoses which have holes in it and so on. Mm -hmm. And they are about uh, three, four feet wide around my little uh, growing trees. I have not turned it on yet. Should I turn this on and uh, water maybe once a week for half an hour or... What would you recommend? Yeah, Hans, that's a good question. It, it is really hard to say how long to water and how often because the weather changes and the soils are different. I have clay soil at my house, and my soil is sopping wet right now. Uh, it's, it's, it's still staying wet, even after it's been a while since it rained there. Uh, you may have more of a sandy soil that dries out faster, and so it saying water this often is, is difficult. You want to keep the soil moist around the roots. So, you know, if you kind of dig down in your soil, get about four inches down and feel the soil, uh, if it is pretty, very moist, that's fine. Don't water. But if it's not, go ahead and give them some water. Uh, that I guess that's the best way. Your, your irrigation lines are fine. Just remember when you plant the tree, all of the roots are in that little cylinder of roots that you put in the ground. And it takes a good while, it takes weeks or months for them to really move out and reach the soil around that. So you have to concentrate your water where those roots are or they'll dry out really fast. Yeah. Okay, well, that was helpful and gives me uh, a lot of ideas, uh, particularly that website which you recommended. I yes. Make sure I, I go there. Yes. Thank you. All right, Hans. Thank you for the call. Our phone number is 845-5689. 845-5689. And uh, let's see, as I mentioned earlier, our email is on the blink today, so I'm, I'm not able to get to it, uh, unfortunately. So uh, if you want to go ahead and email, we will tackle them next week when we're back here again. Uh, so just uh, just go ahead and send send your questions that way. I want to talk about things going on around the community. Uh, boy, there is a lot going on. Um, tonight, Thursday, March 3rd, uh, the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society of Texas is meeting. They meet online. And the website is tinyurl.com slash frogfruit, tiny tinyurl.com slash frogfruit. And uh, the meeting is from 6.30 to 7.30. And the program is going to be on anemones to bluebells, the chronology of spring blooms here in the Brazos Valley. So if you're interested in what are all the, the spring blooms that are going on throughout the course uh, of, of the spring and maybe even on into the year, of course, uh, you can learn more about that. And so I encourage you to take advantage of that. Now, next Tuesday, March 8th, 
the Brazos Valley Rose Society is meeting at noon, and I don't have a location for that. Uh, if you're in the Rose Society, if you'd give us a call, I'd uh, let us know where that is. Uh, and uh, Mary Wells will be presenting ideas from A Garden of Old Roses. If you want more details, you can call 778-4252. 778-4252. That's the Brazos Valley Rose Society. Then on Wednesday the 9th, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is, is meeting. That is at 6.30 to 8 p.m. And it is also an online meeting, tinyurl slash, and instead of frog fruit, like the Native Plant Society, this is Northern Cardinal. tinyurl slash Northern Cardinal, all one word. And uh, the topic uh, by uh, Dr. Heidi Perryman will be beavers, not just an animal, but an ecosystem, and how beavers benefit birds. Say that three times. Beavers benefit birds. I like that. Uh, Rio Brazos Audubon Society, Wednesday, March 9th, 6.30 p.m. online. Then on Friday, March 11th, that's a week from tomorrow, the A&M Garden Club is meeting. They meet at Peace Lutheran Church at 2101 Rio Grande Street. And their program is going to be on Cheer, Bouquet works Cheer Bouquet's workshop, uh, how to make little small container arrangements for the elderly in a care facility. They'll be uh, distributing uh, to the facility after the meeting on behalf of the club as a service project. So if you want to learn how to do a little simple uh, Cheer Bouquet's, uh, that is a, a program that's free of charge. It, they, by the way, they meet at 1030 Friday, March 11th on that. And I'll go out one more on, on the Garden Clubs. Uh, that would be the Brazos Valley Orchid Society. You know, there are so many, so many plants out there, so many societies for plants. The Orchid Society, Monday, March 14th at 7 p.m. Uh, it is at Fire Station 6 on the corner of Tarot and University Drive in College Station. Uh, by, that's, by the way, that is a beautiful fire station. I think that every time I drive by. Uh, but anyway, it's gonna. they're saying bring your orchids and we will discuss how to repot them. And I need to haul mine in there. I've got some that are in serious need of repotting. Uh, but they're currently in bloom. So that's the Brazos Valley Orchid Society, Monday, March 14th at 7 p.m. I always wanted to start a plant society of my own, and I was going to start the Ball Moss Society. I'm pretty sure there is not currently a Ball Moss Society anywhere in the world, and I think that, uh, I think Ball Moss needs its own society too, right? Uh, I doubt I'd get very many members that were interested in that. Okay, tonight, uh, the gardens at Texas A&M present spring vegetable gardening from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the library. The uh, gosh, I'm trying to say the name of the library, and it's it slipped out. I'll get it in just one second. Uh, by the way, I'll be speaking uh, at the program tonight, talking about all kinds of things that are related uh, to the to vegetable gardening, and that is the Larry Ring, Larry Ringer Library here in College Station. Uh, so that's tonight from 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, I'll be talking about how to start some seeds, uh, success with uh, uh, not only knowing when to plant, but knowing what kinds of things to plant that do well. We'll talk a little bit about gardening in the ground and gardening in a container, uh, and it's free to the public. Ages 18 and up, no registration is required. If you have any questions, uh, you can contact Ashley uh, at the Brian at the a read at briantexas.gov a read at briantexas.gov and so that's uh let's see tonight now the next thing 
Saturday the 5th, uh, De Gallery First Saturday Arts Fair. De Gallery First Saturday Arts Fair, 930 North Rosemary in Bryan. From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Now there's a lot of art types of things going on here. The young and professional visual artist will be there. Uh, there'll be a showcase of paintings, of sculpture, of photography, jewelry, other kinds of handcrafted items. There'll be live music and a free art workshop for kids. Turn the kids loose with some, some fun art learning opportunities. There'll be a crafting station, treats for sale, and all kinds of things. If you want more information, it, the website is D-E-G-A-L-L-E-R-Y, like D-E-G-A-L-L-E-R-Y D -E -E dot U-S. Whew, that's a lot of things going on. Uh, I think I'll... I'll pause it there on those. Oh, by the way, the uh, Brazos County Master Gardeners are going to be having their plant sale uh, on Saturday, March 26th. Now, I know that's way away, but you want to book it. So when all your friends and family say, hey, would you come do something on Saturday, March 26th, uh, you say, no, I can't. Now, I believe that's also the... Uh, the big event uh, type deal. So, but our the plant sale for the Master Gardeners is going to be 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. So it'll get done in the morning. You could get there early, which, by the way, we always recommend for plant sales because that's when uh, a lot of the stuff gets uh, hauled out. Uh, so you want to be there, and that's March 26th. It'll be at the new Extension Office, which is out next to the County Tax Office uh, on County Park Court. There's also a little dog park out there right next to us. So uh, come and see what the Master Gardeners have going on. And we'll talk more about that as we get a little bit closer to the event. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu and i'm uh, just looking kind of through some of the emails that are were i'd written down from previously uh, we had have a lot of questions about lawns lawn fertilizing and lawn watering so why don't we why don't we talk about that just a little bit uh, and uh, if we get a call we'll, we'll pause for that uh, everybody wants to get out when it warms up spring weather arrives and and we're ready to get out and and plant and garden and do things and uh, one of the things people do is buy a bag of fertilizer and put it on their lawn well in our grasses are warm season southern turf grasses so these are grasses like st augustine bermuda zoysia grass they don't want to wake up until it really warms up and so right now uh, even though we have some warm days, those grasses are essentially not needing anything at this point. Uh, we wait to fertilize those until we've mowed the lawn twice. Now that may be early to mid-April, depending on the year here. Uh, but when you've mowed the lawn twice, you can put down a fertilizer and it will actively take it up. Uh, the grass grows a new root system in the spring. A lot of new roots coming out as growth uh, commences. Uh, and, it, and things warm up, and it'll take that fertilizer up, and you'll get good, efficient use of it. If you put it out too early, it washes away in rain, it volatilizes, and those weeds that are out there, and they're happily growing now, that would be our cool season weeds, like henbit and chickweed and clover and, oh my gosh, the annual bluegrass, or just a lot of them that are out there, uh, they'll thank you for the fertilizer. So 
I would recommend that you wait until you've mowed twice and then put your fertilizer out. The best way to know what fertilizer your lawn needs is to have a soil test done. Now we recommend this generic um, uh, 3 one ratio type fertilizer when we don't know what's in the soil because that's a pretty good overall fertilizer for, for turf. But you may have soil that the nutrients are way out of whack in. And so a 3 one recommendation, while it won't really hurt much, is, is not going to give you the specific help that, that your soil and, and your lawn need. So uh, in, in absence of a soil test, a 3 one ratio fertilizer is, a, is generally pretty good. You can go a little higher in the nitrogen. You just use less of it. Um, uh, but uh, if, you, if you can get your soil tested, that would be the best. So whenever you've mowed twice, putting down that fertilizer. Now, uh, lawn fertilizing can get kind of confusing. Uh, if you can just sort of step your lawn off uh, north, south, east, west, and figure out how many square feet do I have roughly. Don't worry about sidewalks and a few little flower beds, just, just roughly. Uh, let's say, you know, maybe a thousand square feet or two thousand square feet or, or more. Uh, once you know that, for every thousand square feet, you want to put on a pound of nitrogen. And the easy way to know this, forget all the numbers and all the things I've, I've said, and just remember this. Take the first number on your fertilizer bag and divide it into 100, and that's how much of that fertilizer you put down per thousand square feet. For example, if the first number was 20, 20 goes into 100 five times, you would put five pounds of that fertilizer per thousand square feet on your lawn. And again, don't worry, don't get tape measures out, step it off. If, if you come close, you'll be ahead of 98% of the people who have lawns, maybe 100%, I don't know. Uh, so, so give it a good shot and, and, uh, and put down one pound of nitrogen by using that, that trick and that's divide the first number into 100 uh, and that's the simplest that, that we can make lawn fertilizing now weeds weeds are a whole nother thing we are uh, seeing the the growth of the winter weeds really take off now they've been sitting there all winter as small little plants and now they're putting on the fast growth they're about to bloom some of them are already blooming and set seed some of them are already setting seed and so you want to make sure if you are going to control them that you do that before they take off growing and blooming and setting seed. The products, once they become reproductive and are setting seed, the, the products just aren't that effective. Plus, they're going to die back anyway and wait for next fall to, to sprout again, new, new seeds. So if you get ahead of the seeds, you can use a post-emergent product to control them. Uh, if you don't want to do that, and I don't really bother with that in my, my lawn, you can bag your clippings this one time of the year where it's a good idea, and uh, that may hopefully pick up some of those seed heads as you, as you mow over them, and uh, then d discard of those or compost those uh, so you don't put the weed seeds back in the lawn. Uh, but the other thing going on now is the warm season weeds are germinating. Typically about mid-February, we try to get down a preventative herbicide for warm season weeds that are sprouting from seed, not perennial weeds, but new seedlings coming up. That would be things like uh, crabgrass, for example, would be a warm season 
weed or amaranth or pigweed would be a warm season weed and there, there are many others. Uh, so those, you have to put the product down before they germinate. Some of them you can have a weed that's just getting started and they'll knock it out, but most of them prevent the germination uh, and the successful establishment, that is, of the weed. And so we're getting a little late. Now, if you haven't done it and you've got a terrible weed problem every year, you might want to go ahead and do it now because there's some that won't have germinated yet and you're still going to get some benefit out of it. But the reason I mention all this is a lot of times products are combined where you have a weed control with a fertilizer. And there are times when that actually can work, but in general, I would rather you put a fertilizer down when you put fertilizer down and put your weed control down at the best time for that. So the pre-emergence, mid-February, the fertilizer, early half of, of April, way apart, two different times, put them together in a product you, and you, you've got a timing problem. And so that that's just kind of what I'm trying to, to say. Now, some of those pre, uh, weed and feed, as they call them, have a post-emergent weed control product in. So that's a whole nother thing. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of giving a lot of information on it here on the radio, but if you if you have weed problems, if you can take a picture of the weed or, or pull one up, bring it to the extension office, send us a photo, let us look at it and see what it is you're dealing with, then we can talk about a plan for getting rid of it in the longer term. The best thing you can do to fight weeds in your lawn is to mow, water, and fertilize properly. Mowing means mowing as regularly as you can at a tall height that shades the ground and encourages a deep-rooted, resilient grass that grows denser and denser over time. Fertilizing, we've already talked about. You want to fertilize in the spring. You shouldn't need to fertilize in the summer for the typical home lawn, unless there's just a lot of foot traffic. Uh, and then you can fertilize in the fall, but that you don't have to. That's, a, that's an option. But uh, watering during drought periods, but not overwatering. Most people water too little too often uh, with a light sprinkling, and they don't uh, give it a good deep soaking on an infrequent basis. But when you mow water and fertilize, your lawn gets denser and denser and denser, and your weed problems become fewer and fewer and fewer. There are weeds that can survive in dense St. Augustine, but not most weeds. And so just mow water and fertilize your way to a lot of less weed problems. Uh, if your lawn isn't large, and, and, and unless it's just a total disaster with weeds, hand pulling is an option. I hand pull in my yard. Uh, last fall, we had the fall aster blooming in the yard, and I know what happens. Each one of those little flowers probably has 50 seeds in it the last time I actually counted one once. Uh, but I know that if I don't pull those up before those seeds get out, I've got thousand times more weeds than than I did this year because of all those seeds. So you want to do some hand pulling here and there. That's that's appropriate. And uh, but maybe you can't get out and do that. Uh, so mow water and fertilize. Then help us. Let us help you identify the weed, and then let us recommend a way to control it that is more planned. And the analogy I always use for this, uh, I, I like analogies. Uh, the analogy I use for this is it's like you go to the doctor. And you say, I don't feel good. And he says, okay, or she says, okay. And they grab the pad and they start writing a prescription. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. You don't even know what's wrong with me. I just said I don't feel good. That's what it's like saying my lawn has weeds. 
you, we have to determine the specific, we have to diagnose the situation and what's going on. Is it, it's probably because the lawn is too thin, so maybe aerating is in order, maybe mow water fertilize and so on. Uh, and then when we know we have to use something, we need to use something that's the right product for that weed at the right time. Now, I've spent a lot of time talking about weeds, but I hope, I hope that that's helpful. Um, we get a lot of questions about weeds, and I know a lot of people fret about that. And I've said this on the air before, but, you know, weeds are green too. And if you have to have the perfect lawn, the pristine lawn, you can achieve that at some environmental cost. Uh, but if you can just be patient and mow and uh, uh, like like a, a horticulturist from Mississippi says, take off your glasses and the weeds go away, uh, that if a little patience is, is very helpful for that. And there are even people now, and, and I know from a turf standpoint, uh, this is, is probably not a popular statement, but there are even people now advocating for leaving some blooming weeds in the lawn because of the benefit to pollinators. You know, and a dandelion uh, is, sticks out like an eyesore for a lot of people, but to other people, it's something uh, to keep bees, honeybees, and other bees and other pollinators uh, happy during a time of year when there's not a lot else blooming out there. So you decide what your tolerance is for all of that. Uh, you know, you can you can go either way. Our job is to help you uh, garden in the way you want, but to inform you as to some of the consequences uh, of the various choices that are out there. Man, I Matt, I feel like I just did a monologue there. I, we, please, somebody uh, save the rest of the listeners from my monologue. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689. Uh, and if you want to email, we'll, we'll tackle it next week. It's gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Talk about the vegetable garden. And by the way, don't forget uh, Larry Ringer Library tonight. I will be giving a talk on vegetable gardening. It's a free presentation. So let's talk about vegetables just a little bit here. By the way, that's at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we're in the, the traffic jam of the vegetable garden. Our cool season gardens are going strong. Broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, lettuce, spinach. All of those plants, mustard, kale, collards, they're all going strong. And the warm season garden is standing at the gate. We'll call it the bullpen. They're ready to come into the garden. My tomato transplants are, it's time now. We've, we've, we're at the average last frost date, a little past it. It's time to go ahead and get them out. Uh, you can wait longer, but you can also get them out now. Uh, the green beans, the cucumbers, the squashes, uh, all of those things are wanting to go in, in the ground. So we have this traffic jam in the garden, and uh, that's the one time of year when our garden needs to be twice its size, and then the rest of the year just the regular size, uh, because that this is the biggest traffic jam of all uh, out in the garden. So get out there. If, you've, if you're putting in a new garden, get the soil right first. If that means definitely a soil test to know what you need to add, but adding some compost, maybe an inch of compost, mix it in real good. Uh, build up raised beds for drainage because when it rains, it pours. You can always add water, but you can't take it away. Uh, and so once it's too soggy to work, you're sitting there staring out the window at a rice paddy, uh, wishing you could be out there planting tomatoes. So you want to get those raised beds built uh, so that they do well even in rainy weather, for example. Um, 
what we're going to, what we'll also want to do at this time of the year is, in addition to the soil test, is make sure that our, our transplants are, are healthy and ready to go. Now, we are at the last average frost date, uh, but if you want to hedge your bet, and I do this sometimes, I'll put maybe two or three tomatoes in. Let's say I have five tomatoes in my plant. I may put two or three in a little early, and then I'll hold two of them, kind of uh, maybe pot them up into a bigger container. And then when we get a week or so past that, a week or two past that, I'll plant those. And that kind of helps you hedge your bet just in case the frost shows up. What's up out there, Matt? So we just had a caller who preferred not to ask their question over the phone, but I've got it right here in my hands to ask you for him. Okay. So this listener lives on six acres, and of the six acres, uh, five of them are pretty decently wooded. Okay. And he has dug under the top layer of leaves that are not, you know, um, decomposed or Mm -hmm. anything. And he sees what looks like fantastic compost from yes. time past. Yes. His question is, is um, this compost, you know, underneath mm-hmm. the full leaves, would that be appropriate to gather and then use in a home garden? Good question. Uh, well, if you ask a tree, it would say, get away from my compost, because trees make their own compost for the very reason that it's such good stuff. Uh, but yes, it would. I would call that, rather than calling it compost, I would call that leaf mold. And I know when you use the term leaf mold, it's like you're picturing bread mold or something. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about leaves that are half decomposed. They're chocolate brown. They're crumbly. They're, you know, you, if you look at them close, you can kind of tell that it used to be a leaf, uh, but it's, it's breaking apart so much that it's kind of halfway to compost from being leaves. And that's, that's good, rich stuff. Uh, the forest naturally does that. Uh, every every year it drops new leaves on the surface. It never takes the old ones away. And uh, we could be and should be doing the same thing in our flower beds and shrub beds and around trees and things as well. But yeah, that's really good stuff. It's a little bit of a chore to go out and rake it all up and use it. But if you got the time and talent to, to do that, I would recommend going ahead and going for it. Uh, you know, one, an interesting fact, and I've been trying to nail down the specifics on this, but roughly about three-fourths of the nutrients that a tree takes up during the year are said to be in its leaves. And so when those fall to the ground, that's free organic fertilizer. Now, they're not going to make your trees turn green overnight. There's not high nitrogen, and it, it's not, you know, like, like fertilizing as a quick boost. But the nutrients are all there, and they will be released. Microbes will take them out of those plant parts, and they will release them to the soil. And so you will get those nutrients back. Um, And so I recommend using that. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go back to the phones. Again, the number 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi, uh I was going to say good morning. Good afternoon, Skip. We'll answer to uh, you either are one. Such a great, you're a great resource for me. Um, I have one easy question and one that might take a bit longer. Okay. Easy is, any day of the week, can I go out to the recycling and pick up a truckload of compost? Or do I have to make an appointment or call them? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I I would... I think most days they are open out there, but I would call them and just make sure there's there may be a day that they're not open or, or, or okay. you know, and I guess it kind of depends too on how much do you need and and you know do they have to 
do anything different to be ready if you were hauling out a few truckloads of it. But give them a call out there, and they could they could answer that better than I could. So it is the recycling business that creates the compost? I wasn't sure. Yeah, yes, I don't know just exactly how that all works, but um, it it's... It is when you go to this site. It's it's all of things like branch trimmings and, mm-hmm. and all of the organic material. It's ground up. It's put in giant windrows to compost. It's turned and 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 right. then screened into that nice, rich, black, fine textured stuff. Okay. All right. Uh, harder question, perhaps. Um, sago palms. My townhouse community is fond of sago palms. We're stuck with them. Uh, Of course, that terrible freeze last year um, destroyed everything above ground, but try as you will to eliminate them, they're coming back. (laughs) You don't sound like a fan, Catherine. (laughs) Well, they just take over. They make all those baby pups, and then they... uh, impinge on everything around them. I okay. mean, I have shrubs beside them okay. that have been lopsided so badly. Okay. So, uh, is your question how to get rid of them? Or yes. Okay. You, you have to dig them up. That's the simplest, best thing that you yeah. can do. And that's uh, what someone told me. Yeah, that that's the best thing. Because even if you sprayed something and killed them. Now you got this. It's not woody like a tree, but essentially it's it's a lot like that uh, thing sitting in the yard that you still got to dig up and get rid of. So the they're not uh, terrible about reproducing a lot. It's not like uh, you know they're coming up everywhere. Although in some environments that can happen. But sagos are are separate male and female uh, plants, by the way, and you can have one a female plant that actually produces seeds in the middle. Uh, on some years, but uh, in general, they're not something that reseeds itself. So we're just talking about little pups coming off the base, and when you dig up the plant, you remove all that. It all comes out. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of elbow grease I, and I made, I made digging it up sound easy, didn't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me some complex procedure that no. wasn't going to take so much muscle. No, I was trying to think of the best answer, and I bypassed dynamite and attaching a chain to the bumper of your car <laughs> and all those things and just went to, well, let's dig it up. <laughs> so the stump treatment for dead stumps is not going to work. You know, I, d- I don't know. I don't know. You're talking about putting the herbicide on a fresh-cut stump? Is that what you mean, or do you, what are you talking about by stump treatment? Yeah, I mean, people do this with tree stumps uh, and, you know, any kind of Roundup-type stuff that mm-hmm. isn't an herbicide. Would I have any luck with that? If Boy, I, my, my number one answer is I don't know, so we're going to lead with that. Uh, if it were to work, I would think you would need something that has triclopyr in it, T-R-I. C-L-O-P-Y-R. And uh, then you would, the, the, the bark on those, it's so shaggy that I don't, I don't know that a, a base treatment would work. I would cut them off and then treat the cut surface yeah. with the triclopyr. That was my plan. Yeah, yeah. I would, you could try that. But again, you're going to have now a dead thing that you're still going to have to pull out of the ground. So unless Why? You, Why can't I cut it off flush? It's in a bed. Okay, you just want it to die. You don't, 
you don't care about getting the roots out and replanting something. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I tell you what, give it a shot and let us know how that works. Uh, most of the research I see done on that kind of treatment, they're trying to get brush off a ranch, you know, or out of a hay field or something. Mm -hmm. And so they're using those products agriculturally. Triclopyr is one of the products that's commercially available agriculturally. By the way, in your home garden center, you're going to see it called things like poison ivy, poison oak killer, yes. or brush, yes. brush be gone is another mm -hmm. uh, brand. But it, but the ingredient is triclopyr that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, so give that a shot. See if it works. I, I would think it would. It's just that sagos are one of those. I I don't. It I think it's probably going to be more of a related to grass than to to woody trees. And in that case, we'd have a whole different group of of herbicides that we're going after it with. Um, let me look into that because I'm I'm really doubting that we've got a good answer here yet. Someone, someone may may know. We need a botanist okay. to to call in and and clarify. Because you know, palm trees are not trees; they're they're grass. Uh, no, I didn't. Yes, they're that basically they're uh, related to grass. So um, I'm wondering about the cycads or sago, as you call it. The I'll look into that. Maybe uh, next week on the radio, I can I can say something about it. Okay. All right. Oh, I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you an email. Tell you I'm Catherine, and then maybe you can respond that way. Is that easier? Uh, yes, yes. That would be that would be just great. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Our phone number is eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine, or by email at garden success at tamu dot edu. Uh, garden success at tamu dot edu. So give us a call if you like. We still have time for a little, maybe one more call uh, before we are wound up for the day. Uh, I was talking about vegetables and the traffic jam out in the garden. Uh, so any anything that is um, kind of winding down in the cool season garden. Uh, maybe it's a crop of lettuce because uh, some people pick individual leaves. Some people just harvest the whole plant. But if you can get some space for the warm season, it gives you a chance to mix a little compost in, get things ready to go uh, for for the warm season garden. Go ahead and do that. The, the other thing you can do is you can always start some of your warm season as transplants. Now, generally, we we transplant things like tomatoes and broccoli, for example, but you don't have to. You can plant seed directly, but we just don't have a long enough season for tomatoes to plant them from seed here. So if you buy transplants, you can bump them up into a bigger pot. Maybe you buy them in one of those little six packs or four packs uh, at the garden center. Then you can bump them up, put them into a bigger pot, maybe a gallon pot and uh, let them grow larger. Keep them in sun. Uh, if it gets chilly at night, uh, but let's say it gets in the low 50s or, or colder, probably be a good idea to bring them in just, just so it doesn't shock them. Uh, but they're, they're going to they're gonna survive it, but we, don't, we want them to be happy and grow fast. And so do that, uh, move them back out in the sun. Then by the time you do get some space in the garden, you have a bigger plant, may even have blooms and fruit on it by that stage. Uh, that you can go ahead and, and put out uh, there in the garden. You can also interplant in between your vegetables. 
Uh, if you've got some vegetables that uh, there's a little bit of space where you can put a transplant of the warm season in next to the cool season, neither one of them will be real fond of that, but they can grow like that as long as they're both getting sunlight and then uh, you just take the cool season out. I leave my roots in the ground in most cases and that you're thinking, you know, I put this little new warm season plant, now I'm going to rip out the broccoli or something else, and it's going to tear up the root system. Well, no, I just cut it off at the ground. Just cut it off right below the ground using a swell knife. That's a good way to do it. Uh, and just leave the roots in. They will decompose. That organic matter will go back into the soil, and all will be fine. Uh, there's no need uh, to have to pull all those out uh, when you plant. Uh, we always tell you to mulch in your flower beds and in your vegetable gardens, uh, in your shrub beds, mulch, mulch, mulch. Because in our climate, that is really important. There, There is a time of the year, and it's now, when I would say you can hold off on the mulch. And the reason for it would be to let the soil warm faster. Now, raised beds warm up a little bit faster than soil that's just down flat on the level there. Uh, but when you put mulch down, it slows the soil warming because mulch is a protective covering. It's nice in the summer. It doesn't get blazing hot in the root zone up near the surface of the soil uh, when you have mulch because it is shading it. But right now, we kind of would like the soil to warm up a little faster because soil warmth is what makes the seeds take off and grow faster. The seed uh, uh, growth is very temperature dependent. And so getting a good warm soil will help whether you're planting corn or green beans or whatever your seeds are, uh, it helps get them up and going. So I pull my mulch back. Now, if you've got weed seeds around, they're going to sprout and it's going to get kind of green and fuzzy looking out there in the garden. But you can just throw some newspaper, a few sheets of newspaper with some mulch on top, or you can lightly hoe them. I generally just cover them up with mulch uh, after uh, it warms up a little bit more. Uh, so this would be the one time when maybe the mulch could come back. Doesn't have to, but it sure does uh, kind of speed things up a little bit if you do. I want to remind you that our vegetable garden planting calendar is online. If you go to the uh, Brazos County Master Gardener website, uh, that, it's real easy. It's a very, probably one of the simplest URLs there is. It's brazosmg.com, brazosmg.com and uh, click on the Gardening in the Brazos Valley and under Vegetables or Edibles, you'll see that free chart that you can download. Make sure you get your things off at a good time. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. We're here every Thursday from 12 to 1. I look forward next week to talking to you again. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. 
Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.